My last message came from Philippians 1, 19 to 20. You can track that down if you would like. Uh, that message was entitled, Paul's Certainty in Uncertain Times. And in that message, we learned that the Apostle Paul was in prison, awaiting trial and the possibility of execution. He was staring death in the face. He knew he could be executed in a bloody and a gruesome manner. Paul was unsure whether he would live or die, but that was not his main concern. His only care was for Christ to be exalted in and through his life. And Paul expresses his belief and confidence that Christ would be exalted no matter what. Absolutely confident in Christ that he would be exalted no matter what, whether he lives or whether he dies. I'd like to review what Paul says in Philippians. This will be brief, but I think it'll be helpful to set the stage for where we are going today. So let's review what Paul says in Philippians 1, 19 through 20, as he awaits his trial. He says, for I know that this, this is a reference to Paul's current situation in prison as he awaits trial and perhaps the sentence of death. Paul says this, this shall turn out for my deliverance. From what will Paul be delivered? At this point, he is not referring to deliverance from death. He is referring to a greater deliverance. Deliverance from the failure to exalt Christ in word and deed all the way to his dying breath. Paul goes on to say his deliverance will come through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul affirms God's power to hear and answer the prayers of the Philippians on his behalf. And Paul knows that his deliverance will be facilitated, not just by the prayers of the Philippians, but through the provision of the Spirit of God as well. Paul knows that the indwelling spirit supplies the power he needs to stand strong and to behave boldly during trial and even execution. Paul has no doubt that the Lord will be exalted in his life all the way to his dying breath. Listen to Paul's words in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is confident as he is in prison, awaiting trial and possible execution, that he will experience deliverance. He will be delivered from bringing shame to himself and the Lord whom he professes to believe and love. Fear will have no hold of Paul. Paul is confident he will have boldness to exalt Christ even in the face of death. At this point of his letter, Paul does not know what will happen. He may live, but he may be tried and executed. 
whatever happens on that front, he knows that Christ will be exalted. But as Paul is thinking his situation through, he becomes convinced that the Lord will, in fact, spare his life. He gets to that place of believing his life will be spared. And we see this as we come to Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 26. In these verses, we hear Paul thinking aloud, thinking out loud as he becomes convinced that the Lord will let him live to bear fruit. And so turn in your Bible, please, to Philippians 1, 21 through 26. That is our text for today. Again, Philippians 1, 21 to 26. Hear the word of God. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, uh, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. I am entitling my message, Living to Bear Fruit. In our passage, we will consider Four declarations of Paul as he becomes convinced that the Lord will let him live to bear fruit. And so let us begin with declaration number one. Paul declares that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen to what Paul says in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul begins by saying, To me, to live is Christ. What does Paul mean? Part of what Paul is saying is that if in fact he lives, he will exalt and glorify Christ. If he gets to live, it will be Christ living his life through him. Uh, Paul is also saying that the purpose of life is to bring glory to Christ, to live is Christ to live in such a way so as to make Christ known. Paul is saying that that life is to be experienced within the realm of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is to be lived with Christ at the center. We live when we orbit our lives around Christ All that we do should revolve around Christ. Christ should be the gravitational pull in our lives. To live is Christ. Paul is also saying that his quality of life revolves around Christ and reflecting his glory. If you really want to live, you will do so with Christ 
in view. Paul's goal in life is to bring glory to God through his son, to glorify God by reflecting his image in his relationships with the people around him. He wants to glorify God. This is at the heart of what Paul means when he declares to live as Christ. In the following verse, Paul says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. The purpose of earthly living is fruitful labor. Paul is determined to bear fruit to the glory of God, to labor, to work hard for the glory of God. This is what Paul means when he declares to live as Christ. Paul also has in mind the continual pursuit of Christ. To live is to pursue Christ and know him more and more. Paul illustrates this continual pursuit of Christ when a bit later in chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he proclaims, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's primary pursuit in life includes knowing Christ and making Christ known. He is never content with his present knowledge of Christ. He wants to know Christ more and more and more. When Paul declares to live as Christ, he has in mind the continual pursuit of knowing Christ and in making him known all the way to his dying breath. Implied in Paul's declaration is the belief that life has no meaning apart from Christ. If to live is Christ, then removing Christ from the equation results in a failure to live. No Christ, no living. The lost person may be physically alive. And if you are here with us this morning, and if you have yet to put your trust and your hope and your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, please listen carefully. The lost, the unsaved person may be physically alive, but he is spiritually dead in his transgression and sin. The only way through which the lost person experiences life, spiritual and eternal life, is through faith in Christ alone. Christ himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Christ is life. Apart from Christ, we do not have life. Christ 
is referring to eternal life when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's referring to eternal life. Apart from Christ, no one will ever experience eternal life. There is no salvation. There is no going to heaven apart from Christ. And what good is it to live life apart from Christ and then finally to be condemned to hell? The full experience of life as God intends and desires for us to have hinges upon our holding to Christ as our only hope. He is life and he is the source of life. Listen to Paul's words once again. To live is Christ. Paul continues his thought, to die is gain. Paul reflects upon life and death and concludes that death is better than life. Paul's comparison is between the believer living for the glory of Christ in this fallen world and that same believer dying and then being ushered into the immediate presence of the Lord. Paul's conclusion regarding this comparison is that to die is gain. To die is gain is true only for the believer. If you are a believer in Christ, you can echo the words of Paul and you can say with confidence, to die is gain. Only the child of God can make this proclamation. For the unsaved, to die is never gain. Death is loss. It is the loss of an opportunity to repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It is the loss of any hope for eternal life. Let's not make the mistake of applying Paul's great declaration to the unsaved. The destination of the unsaved is the eternal lake of fire and for the unsaved to die is loss. And so let us turn back to Paul. He is not concerned about dying. He is convinced that death is the doorway into something better. Death is the gateway to gain. Paul knows that when he dies, he will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be in the immediate presence of the Prince of Peace. Paul knows that his battle with sin will be over and he will be safe in the arms of his dear Savior. He will be with all who are in Christ and have passed through death's door ahead of him. To die is gain. In Paul's mind, death results in gain because it means he will experience more of Christ. To live is Christ and to die is more Christ. This perspective allows Paul to face the possibility of death in a way that empowers him to honor the Lord. Well, let us now turn to the second declaration on the path to Paul becoming convinced that the Lord will let him live to bear fruit. Declaration number two, Paul declares that he will bear fruit if he remains alive. He will bear fruit if he remains alive. And we see this in verse 22a. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean 
fruitful labor for me. At this point, Paul feels no guarantee he will live. He says, if, if I am to live on in the flesh, in this body, Paul knows he will be tried and perhaps executed. But should God determine that Paul lives on in the flesh, he knows he will bear fruit. Paul knows that God by the Spirit will work in him and through him to bear fruit. He believes that the one who began the work will complete the work. He has full trust and confidence in his God. Paul describes such fruit bearing as labor. Labor. Fruit bearing is never a walk in the park. Paul is committed to the ethic of hard work and he embraces the labor necessary for bearing fruit. Uh, Paul is confident that fruit will be born out of his life. He trusts in God. God is to be trusted. The Lord will work in and through Paul to bear fruit. Sinners will be saved. Saints will be sanctified. Paul has total trust and complete confidence in his God. Paul's confidence flows from an exalted view of God. He knows who his God is, and he knows what his God has done and what his God can do. He is overwhelmed by the gravitas of his great God. He knows God is powerful. Paul affirms the the goodness, grace, love, and mercy and kindness of his God. Such attributes are unleashed upon Paul and serve as reasons Paul can have confidence that fruit will be born in his life. He is certain, he is fully assured that God is willing to take the worst of sinners. And Paul places himself in this category. You recall that he himself said in his letter to Timothy, of all of the sinners, I am the worst. I am the chief. And so he believes that God is willing to take the worst of sinners, himself included, and use them for his glory and the growth of the church. Paul is committed to bearing fruit. He he is confident fruit will be born and his confidence flows from his faith in a God who is able. Paul sees himself as being responsible through faith to give it his all for the glory of God. He lays hold of human responsibility and at the same time he knows that he is 100% dependent on the Lord to work in and through his life. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if any good is to be accomplished, it'll be God working through him, and he is confident that will happen. Later in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, Paul commands the Philippians, listen to what he says to them, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul commands the Philippians 
to do the very thing he himself is committed to doing. He is laboring out of the overflow of faith in a great and mighty God. And we see a parallel passage in Colossians 1.29 where Paul says, For this purpose also I labor. I labor, striving, agonizing. This is hard work. But he says, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul embraces the human responsibility to labor, knowing that it is God who is at work in him. His hard work is born out of a trust in God to bear fruit through his life and ministry. In examining this passage, we see that in Paul's mind, there are only two possible outcomes. He will either be executed and ushered into the presence of the Lord, or he will live to bear fruit and die some other day. At this point, Paul doesn't know what will happen. He doesn't know if he will die or remain alive. He doesn't even know which to prefer. And we see this as we come to declaration number three. Paul declares that he feels the tension, the tension between desiring death to be with Christ and desiring to live to bear fruit among the Philippians. Again, he feels this tension between these two great desires in verse 22b through 24, Paul says, and I do not know which to choose. I don't know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. If given a choice between dying and being with Christ or living and bearing fruit to the glory of God, Paul seems unsure which he would choose. In Paul's mind, there are only two options. He could die and be with Christ, or he could live and bear fruit. Those are the only two options, and this is the tension that Paul feels. I remember years ago when looking to purchase a home, the choice came down to two homes after looking for years for a home. Finally, there were two options. My wife and I liked different things about each home. I remember that we felt the tension between the two good options. So we, we chose 22616 Pico Street, Grand Terrace, California, 92313. I think that's the zip code. The tension Paul felt was not between two homes. He felt the tension between going on to be with the Lord and living to bear fruit. He says he is hard-pressed from both directions. The King James translates, I am in a strait betwixt the two. The New International Version reads, I am torn between the two. Paul feels pressure from both sides. On the one hand, Paul would be happy to be executed and go on to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, he would be happy to live, to bless others. He feels torn between these two very excellent options. 
What a wonderful dilemma. Such a dilemma should mark every believer in Christ. And the longer we live, the greater we feel this pull. We are like the tug of war rope. The desire to be with Christ pulls on one end. Do you feel the pull? The desire to remain alive, to bear fruit, pulls from the other end. Are you feeling the pull? Mature believers in Christ feel the pull from both ends. What about you? Do you feel tension between the desire to be with the Lord and the desire to live for the purpose of bearing fruit? There should be within every child of God an increasing desire to be at home with the Lord along with the desire to live, to bear fruit to the glory of God. These are the two desires that should have the greatest pull in our lives and put every other desire in its proper place. What are your desires today? Do you desire a better job, career advancement, a move into a bigger home, a cool car, a great vacation? Do you desire to be married? Do you desire to be out of your marriage? Do you want to be healthy and and live a long life? These are the types of desires that people might have. Most of these are good desires, not the divorce one. But they should not take priority over the desire to be with Christ or the desire to live a life of fruitfulness to the glory of God. Paul says he has the desire to depart and be with Christ. This word desire speaks of a a passionate, intense longing. Paul finds himself consumed at times with the intense desire to depart and to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. The word depart carries the idea of being unloosed for departure. Paul desires to be unloosed from this world and the earthly tent in which he dwells. Paul has an an, an intense inner longing deep down in his heart of hearts, in his soul, to depart from this fallen world and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he describes such such a desire as, as very much better. It's very much better. Paul would be perfectly content to be executed and enter the immediate presence of the Lord. According to Paul, this is better than the desire to live and bear fruit. Paul's language underscores his belief that when he dies, he will be with Christ. There is no soul sleep. In Luke 23, 43, we hear Jesus telling the dying thief, truly I say to you, today, today, you shall be with me in paradise. Listen to Paul's words from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 2. 
For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Do you feel the longing? Later in verse 8, Paul says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Is that your preference this morning? Paul's words are a comfort for those who have loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. Christian, take heart. Your loved one who has died in Christ is in a far better place. Paul reminds us in our passage today that it is very much better to depart and be with Christ. He uses a triple comparative. He doesn't just say that, that uh, it is better. He doesn't just say that it is much better. He declares it is very much better. And as Paul stares into the face of death, he tells himself and his readers that should he depart and be with Christ, that would be very much better. And as Paul, excuse me, but Paul knows that the decision, it's not his to make. He is not the one in control. He is not the one calling the shots. He is not the Lord. It's not his decision to make. The good Lord reigns over the affairs of man and his plans will prevail. Paul knows what he is doing, what God is doing. And he knows that God has the right to do as he pleases Paul believes that, that the Lord is loving and good and wise and he does everything well. He knows this and he is trusting the Lord to perform his perfect plan in his life. He is submitted to and he is trusting in the Lord regarding the situation he finds himself in. Should the Lord decide to keep Paul alive, he will accept such a plan and he will make the most of it. He will live to bear fruit. And we do well to follow the example of Paul. In fact, later in Philippians 3.17, he commands his readers by way of extension to us. Brethren, he says, join in following my example. Paul was trusting in the Lord and fully submitted to the Lord's will in his life, regardless of what that plan would be, whether he lives or whether he dies. He was simply trusting in the Lord to fulfill his plan in his life, and he was submitted to that. Likewise, we are to trust the Lord regarding his plan for our life. He may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. He may call us to cross the river and enter his immediate presence, or he may desire for us to continue living in this fallen world, in this earthly tent, and along the way to bear fruit to the glory of God. Ultimately, the choice really is the Lord's. It belongs to God. We must choose to trust him either way. And it must be our aim to exalt the Lord, whether in life or death. 
Paul fills the pool of two great desires. He is in a win-win situation. Living is Christ, dying is gain. Living allows him to bear fruit. Nevertheless, departing and being with Christ is far better. He feels torn between the two. His confidence of future glorification along with the commitment to fruitfulness, to the glory of God, serve as keys to victorious Christian living. Again, he's confident in future glorification. He's committed to present fruitfulness. And these are keys to his victorious Christian life. On the one hand, we are to be confident in and consumed with our future glorification. We eagerly anticipate the day of our homecoming. We will be perfected. Our battle with sin will cease. We will finally be fit to fix our eyes fully on the resurrected Christ. We will see him. We will see him. We who believe in Christ will see him. This confidence of Paul's is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, our sins, our many countless sins are forgiven, completely forgiven. The punishment that we deserve for our own sin was fully cast upon Christ. There is no condemnation No condemnation for those that are in Christ. We are loved with a love that is infinite and incomprehensible. God's love for us because of Christ and through Christ will never decrease, nor can it ever increase. The height and depth and length and breadth of the love of Christ, no one can fathom, yet we are loved with this infinite and incomprehensible love, and such a love has grabbed hold of every single person who is in Christ. And I ask you, has the love of God grabbed hold of your heart? If you cannot say yes, I encourage you to take the time to fix your eyes on Christ and know that he bled his blood on the cross for you. He died in your place, was punished for you so that you through faith in him, not by your work, but through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you could be saved and go to heaven when you die. Your life through the power of this gospel can be transformed. You can be what God would want you to be. And we who are in Christ will be raised up and glorified. We will be what we have always were were meant to be. We will find ultimate fulfillment and, and, and final satisfaction when death comes knocking at our door and escorts us across the river into the celestial city and in the immediate presence of Jesus the Nazarene. What a day, what a hope, what a blessing. And so Paul declares to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor to me and, and his path to victorious 
uh, living includes the confidence of future glory as well as a, a gospel-fueled commitment to bearing fruit to the glory of God. He sees himself in a win-win situation. He is presented with two great possibilities and he is clearly torn between the two great options and such an outlook on life serves us well as we live life in this fallen world. All the great servants of God experience the tension between being with the Lord and living to bear fruit. The great men and women of God live with this dilemma and I pray that such a tension will be ours as well. But consider that in verse 24, Paul says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul sees purpose in living. He has a healthy self-assessment. He knows that the Lord can and in fact will use him for the growth of the church. He believes the Lord can use him to bear fruit. And Paul is on his way to thinking God will in fact Keep him alive to bear fruit. And with this thought in mind, we turn to declaration number four. Paul declares that he is convinced he will live to bear fruit among the Philippians. And we see this in verses 25 through 26, where Paul proclaims, and convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And so take notice that Paul is convinced. The word can be translated confident. What is he convinced of? He says he is convinced of this. He's referring back to his declaration that remaining on in the flesh is more necessary for the sake of the Philippians. He is convinced that the Lord can and will use him to be a blessing to his Philippian readers. This point is further emphasized when he goes on to say, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's convinced and he knows the Lord will spare his life so that he might minister to the Philippians. Until now, the only thing Paul knew for sure is that he would be delivered. He knew he would be delivered from fear and failure to glorify the Lord. He knew he would exalt the Lord whether he lives or whether he dies. But now he knows he will live. He says, I know that I shall remain. This is Paul's way of saying, I'm not going to die just yet. The Lord has more work for me to do. He is not done with me yet. The Lord has made it clear to Paul that he would be spared. He knows God's will is to keep him alive, to minister to the Philippians. How did he come to that knowledge? Perhaps God, by the Spirit in his inner being, just gave him that sense. I don't know. But as an apostle, it seems clear that the Lord was making it clear to him. He was going to continue to live. There was more work for, uh, to be done by the apostle Paul. In Philippians 2.24, Paul communicates his hope and his plan to visit the Philippians again. He says, I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. His plan is to uh, visit the Philippians once again and to not delay in his effort to come to see them. He wants to see them soon and he wants to see them face to face, face to face. Take note of the word continue. 
It is not that Paul will be spared and start ministering to the Philippians. Paul has a long history of ministering to the Philippians. He planted the church and has ministered to them ever since. They were never far from his heart and mind. Paul prayed for the Philippians. He visited them on another occasion. He loved the Philippians and he longed for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is what he says in the first chapter of Philippians. He says, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's ministry to the Philippians would be a ministry of continuance. He says, I shall continue with you all. Paul knows He will be an instrument of progress and joy for the Philippians. He believes that through his coming to the Philippians, that they, in fact, will grow in their faith. He also believes his coming will be a cause for joy. Fix your attention on Paul's use of the word joy. Paul was a model of joy and worked endlessly in his efforts to promote joy in the lives of other believers. You'll note that Paul attaches a prepositional phrase to joy in the faith. Biblical joy is always rooted in the faith. It is grounded in the gospel. The faith is the fuel for our joy. Every reference to the faith should result in a corresponding joy. When we think about Christ, who he is and what he has done, the effect of Christ should be on us that our hearts rejoice in him. And this matter of joy is a theme laced throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians. And remember, he's in prison. Remember, the Philippians are suffering to some degree themselves. And that is no deterrent from the joy that he calls himself and his readers to. In 119, Paul says, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He rejoices in the advancement of the gospel. In 217, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul rejoices even if he is being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of his Philippian readers. In 218, Paul urges his readers, rejoice in the same way. The Philippians are to follow Paul's example and even as they suffer for the sake of Christ, they are to rejoice. In 228, Paul declares, therefore I have sent him, speaking of Epaphroditus, I have sent Epaphroditus all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice. High on the list of priorities, in Paul's mind is for the people of God to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I have sent him to you that you may rejoice. Epaphroditus, who came close to death for the sake of Christ, was sent to them to help them to rejoice in Christ. And you get a sense that joy springs from face-to-face fellowship between believers who care deeply for one another. That is why Paul, if he can't make it himself, he's going to send Timothy. And if Timothy can't get there, he's going to send Epaphroditus. Someone's going to go to help him to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 3.1, Paul commands, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Again, in 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, 
rejoice. In these verses, joy is linked to the Lord. The Lord is the source of our joy, and command is given to rejoice in the Lord. And in our passage, we see that Paul is finally convinced he will remain and continue with the Philippians for their progress and joy in the faith. Paul knows he will bear fruit among the Philippians. He then provides a reason that he will remain and continue with the Philippians for their progress and joy in the faith. He says, so that, so that, this is the reason, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He believes that his coming to the Philippians will cause their confidence to abound. They will be filled with boasting. That's the idea. And their boast will be in the Lord and the work of the Lord in the life of Paul. Young's literal translation interprets Paul's words rightly when it reads, that your boasting may abound in Christ Jesus, in me, in his work in my life, through my presence again to you or through my coming again to you. When Paul again gets to see his beloved Philippians, and he will, there will be stories to tell. Can you imagine? And God's work of grace in Paul's life will be clear to the Philippians. They will see the evidence of growth the increased wisdom, the growth, the greater love for and commitment to Christ will be witnessed by the Philippians when they see Paul again. And the result will be that the Philippians will have every reason to abound in their boasting in the Lord and the Lord's great work in the life of the Apostle Paul. Indeed, Paul is convinced that the Lord's will for him is to spare his life he knows his time has not yet come. Not that it matters to Paul. He'd be fine either way. But he is now convinced that not only will he live and not only will he bear fruit, but that he will make his way back to the Philippians and to bear fruit amongst them. He will see them again someday. He believes a reunion is on God's bucket list for him. And Paul very much looks forward to that day. Earlier in 1.8, he says, God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now in 1.26, Paul expresses his hope that he will in fact see the Philippians again. His longing for the Philippians will come to fruition and such a reunion will produce fruit. In our message, we have considered four declarations of Paul as he becomes convinced that he will live to bear fruit. One, Paul declares to live as Christ and to die as gain. Two, Paul declares he will bear fruit as long as he lives. Three, Paul declares he feels the tension between the desire to die and be with Christ and the desire to live to bear fruit to the glory of God. And four, Paul declares he is convinced he will live to bear fruit among the Philippians. We observe in Paul the confidence and commitment that he will bear fruit to the glory of God. Before we end, 
I want to direct our attention to a few points of application. The applications will come in the form of four main questions. So let's run through these. Number one, is your view of future glory so great that you find yourself at times longing to be with the Lord in heaven? This longing is a part of our sanctification. It comes with living life in this fallen world. This longing intensifies over time, even as loved ones who are in Christ go on to be with the Lord ahead of us. This, this longing builds as we are confronted with the remnants of our own indwelling sin, and we long for the day when we will be freed from this body of death. This longing is magnified within us as we reflect on heaven and the joy that will be ours when we get there. Again, I ask, is your view of future glory so great that you find yourself at times longing to be with the Lord in heaven? If it is not, let me encourage you to take time to think about what the future has in store for you if you are in Christ. Secondly, number two, is your view of Christ and what he has accomplished for you so magnificent that your primary passion in this fallen world is to bear fruit to the glory of God? Do you have within you the desire to be fruitful to the glory of God? And do you realize what, what Christ has done for you? Do you appreciate that Christ bled his blood on Calvary's cross for you? Do you regularly reflect on the fact that Christ was punished in your place through his blood sacrifice, your sins forgiven? And do you know that, that Christ was raised bodily from the grave? The Lord is seated at the Father's right hand and he will bring you safely into heaven if you have embraced him as your savior. And when you think about what the Lord Jesus has done for you, are you motivated to live for his glory? Is it your desire, no matter what might come your way, to honor the Lord with the life he has given you? Is your view of Christ and what he has accomplished for you so magnificent that your primary passion in this fallen world is to bear fruit to the glory of God? If that is not your primary passion while living life in this fallen world, then I submit to you, behold your king. Behold Christ. Stare long and hard at the suffering Savior who bled his blood on a cross for you. Picture him and what he has done for you. Third main question. Is your heart filled to overflowing with the love of Christ for his bride? Is your heart filled to overflowing with the love of Christ for his bride? Remember, Paul says, God has witnessed how I long for you all with the affection of Christ. Christ is the key to such a longing. Christ is the key to such an affection. He has the longing. He has the affection. And as we are linked to him, as we are connected to him, then he transforms us as we behold him. And he causes the love of Christ to flow in and through us into the lives of the people around us. 
Again, is your heart filled to overflowing with the love of Christ for his bride? Paul's love for Christ and his bride was the church was so strong that it shaped the single purpose in his life out of the overflow of knowing Christ to bear fruit to the glory of God. Out of the overflow of knowing Christ to bear fruit to the glory of God. He was consumed by his commitment to Christ and the church. Saints of God, you have been saved to know Christ and to make him known. You have been given your marching orders. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. At the top of our list of priorities should be to know Christ and to make Christ known. We are to live to bear fruit to the glory of God. This will not look the same for everyone. Understand, this will not look the same for everyone. We bear fruit to differing degrees. We each have our station in life. We are gifted differently. Our spheres of influence differ from person to person. Our callings are not all exactly the same. There are differences. Bearing fruit to the glory of God should start in our homes and then spread outward. Outside of our homes, we should be committed to the Great Commission as well as the local church. Uh, When is the last time you shared Christ with a lost person? In what ways are you seeking to serve the body of Christ? Are you strongly connected to a group of believers with whom you live life together? If you are a member here at Cornerstone, are you growing in your relationships with those in your care group? And do you find that the longer, the more time that you spend with the members of your care group, that that your love for them grows in time? Is your heart filled to overflowing with the love of Christ for his people? And then number four, do you trust the Lord with his plan for your life regardless of what his plan might be? Paul was in prison facing trial and the possibility of death, yet he trusted the Lord. And then it became clear to Paul that the Lord would keep him alive to bear fruit. Even so, Paul trusted the Lord. Either way, he trusted in the Lord and his plan for his life. Paul submitted his life to Christ. Either way, no matter what the Lord had in store for him, he trusted God's good and sovereign plan. Christian, are you trusting the Lord with his plan for your life? And are you committed to bearing fruit to the glory of God regardless of what comes your way? Do you seize upon the opportunities to bear fruit? When sinned against, do you respond by being kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you? When sinned against, are you willing to extend forgiveness to the person that has hurt you? Are you willing to be to them as Christ has been to you? Forgiving and loving. When opportunities come your way to proclaim Christ, 
when the neighbor asks you about Christ, are you quick to respond with the gospel? Again, do you seize upon the opportunities God gives you to bear fruit? It seems that that's what Paul did. Like he's in jail, right? It didn't stop him. It did not stop him one bit. He wrote letters. He prayed. He witnessed to the whole Praetorian Guard. People were getting saved, despite the fact that his lot in life didn't seem to be favorable, right? It was favorable because God was in charge, God was in control, and God had a plan, and God was at work in him. Are you committed to the idea that God wants to work in your life no matter your situation, no matter your lot, no matter your station? May the Lord help us to bear fruit to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there is much for us from this passage to think about. What a wonderful example Paul is. He longed to be with you. At the same time, he was fully submitted to your will in his life, and should you keep him alive, he was 100% committed to bearing fruit. Those were the only two options. Those were the only two pulls, and he felt the pull. To be with Christ would be very much better, he says, but to remain on in the flesh was more necessary for the Philippians. And so he became convinced, convinced of this. He says, I know I will remain on with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Lord, let that be our attitude. Let these be the two, the two forces in our life, the, the two things that, that, that pull at us. Number one, we long for you. Number two, if you keep us alive, we, we long to bear fruit to the glory of God, to know you and to make you known. And let everything else, Lord, as Paul says, all things I consider loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, by whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Let that be our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.